the rise and fall of Disney Channel is one of the most sinister yet captivating parts of the history of the entertainment industry I think we will ever see. From about 1990 to 2020, every single thing Disney and Disney Channel did was calculated down to like the weeks of release. Like it is so fascinating how I saw another YouTube video and a few articles where they described it as like a pop star factory. And I felt like that was such an accurate term to call it because they literally took a creative industry and turned it into like an assembly line process. I think it made me have even more sympathy for the people who went through this than I did even before, because I seriously think we can't even comprehend how little free will they had. There are so many patterns that every single person who went through it experiences, and I think is very, very reflective of what Disney is doing today, specifically in terms of the strike and their greed. Yeah, I believe it. I, I'm excited to hear about this. So there are four major players that kind of are build the foundation of what Disney Channel became to be, the rise of it, and also the fall. The four major players are Britney Spears. Okay. Hilary Duff. Okay. Miley Cyrus. And then Olivia Rodrigo. So this story goes all the way back to 1989. And there's a lot of dates here. And the timeline is very important. Like, it's not just the events that happen. It is the sequence of that the events happen in, right? Because we can't prove like so-and-so executive said this thing, which caused them to do that in November. You know what I mean? But when I was doing research, I found so many overlaps in the things, in the years or months things would release that just proved to me it is so meticulous and kind of sinister. Okay. So did you know Britney Spears... Ryan Gosling, Justin Timberlake, and Christina Aguilera were all on the same Disney Channel show before any of them even rose to stardom. The OG hype house? (laughs) Literally. Mickey was the OG Thomas Petro. was insane. The show was like pretty mildly successful. It's not what anyone thinks of when they think of Disney Channel today. But in the final two seasons, so 1993-1994, is when they had these four stars. However, none of these stars ever signed with Disney. Britney Spears didn't sign with Disney. Ryan Gosling never did. Justin Timberlake, Christina Aguilera, never. This will go down and still is to this day the biggest fumble in the history of Disney. Like These artists alone had 16 Grammy wins, four (laughs) Emmy wins, a Golden Globe Award, 61 platinum albums, and one diamond album. Like, Disney fumbled royalties would go crazy in all capital letters yeah and also think of like i really think that this show was them intentionally trying to get disney into music okay which we'll touch on so i think that this made the disney executives and the people at disney very resentful very very resentful yeah and this year 1989 is very very important so i think around 1989 they realized that 
they needed to find a way to get into a slightly older demographic. I think they had really monopolized the like 10 and under with the Cinderella's and the Snow White's and the Sleeping Beauties. Like those things catered to really, really young people. I wonder if they saw the rise of like the sitcoms where it was human focused, not animation. Exactly. I also think um, specifically SNL and MTV were the two big things that they were trying to compete with at the time, which is the birth of the show. It is the all new Mickey Mouse Club. It aired from 1989 to 1994. And more or less, it is like kid friendly SNL that's also (laughs) kind of musical. So it was like filmed in front of a live studio audience. It had a rotating cast similar to SNL, uh, but it was very kid friendly humor and a lot of songs. And, And this year, 1989 is very, very important. So if we go to the next slide, 1989, is the year Hollywood Records is founded. Hollywood Records is a record label really like any other. Like, to my knowledge, Hollywood Records in itself isn't inherently sinister. In 1990, like, their big debut artist was they signed Queen. And to this day, they still manage the catalog of Queen, and they still manage the catalog of Freddie Mercury. Wow. So from my research, Hollywood Records is legit. It's a legit record label. But... They were very, very, you know, intentional with making Hollywood Records a pipeline yes. through Disney. So artists include that have been signed to Hollywood Records in the past, but not limited to Miley Cyrus, Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, the Jonas Brothers, Ali and AJ, Zendaya, Cheetah Girls, Jordan Fisher, Coco Jones, Breaking Benjamin, Queen, and uh, Freddie Mercury, as I had mentioned, and so many more. Like maybe, maybe we'll get to this. I don't see someone recently on there. Okay. We'll talk about it. Hollywood Records is founded in the same year as the all-new Mickey Mouse Club. Okay. When they were making this Real People show, when they were trying to compete with MTV and SNL, right? I'm telling you, the timelines match up. Like, it it gets even worse. None of these artists end up signing with Hollywood Records. And I think that the entire point that they built this show in the same year as the year they founded Hollywood Records and made it intentionally a show with this rotating cast structure was to scout people for Hollywood records. And they found the biggest pop star of the 2000s, but didn't end up signing her, which is Britney Spears. So when you say they didn't sign, you were referring to Ryan Gosling, Britney Spears, Timberlake, and Aguilera. Yep, all four. Never signed with Disney, never signed with Hollywood records. Okay. And I think this made them very upset yeah very upset and i think too that beginning in this timeline of disney's obsession for control it is almost defies logic how deeply they have this need for control and how willing they are to even sacrifice profits and the growth of the company to maintain this sense of control this brings us to 2001 and 2001 to 2012 is the golden era of Disney Channel. Like, this is what anyone, if you say, what's your favorite Disney Channel show, it will be from this time period. The first one of these shows is Lizzie McGuire, starring Hilary Duff. The show airs in 2001, and Lizzie McGuire starts the Disney Channel blueprint. And there are eight specific tropes that appear in every single one of these Disney Channel shows, more or less, in this period um, that made them so successful and turned them into this pop star factory. Number one, it's an awkward girl in school, and she's awkward with boys. So true. Number two, 
She likes to sing and has a fondness for music. Yeah. Number three, there is something special about them <gasps> that they aren't allowed to talk about. Chills. Hannah Montana, she is a celebrity. Wizards of Waverly Place, she's a wizard. Uh, that's Psychic. a raven. She can kind of see the future, but it's always her ability to see the future that gets her into this precarious situation, right? And I think they did that intentionally to be like aspirational and relatable at the same time. Well, and it makes the audience feel like they have a tie in to be like, I'm keeping this secret with them. I have like a parasocial relationship yes, now with the it character. It does build that parasocial. Like you share a secret with Miley Cyrus that no one else gets. I know to she's have. a pop star. I'm mm -hmm. her best friend. Exactly. Number four, the show has an iconic theme song that is sung by the main character. True. Number five, TV show has a soundtrack album. Number six, TV show gets turned into a movie or vice versa. We'll talk about this. Okay. Some things in the pipeline start as movies, then go to shows. Some okay. things start as shows, then go to movies. No matter what, there's always an album associated with both. Number seven, movie also has a soundtrack album. And then number eight, after all of this, lead of said movie or TV show gets a solo album themselves that is promoted through Disney. And what's fascinating is the soundtrack album because so often we see movies and shows license songs from pre-existing albums and artists and record labels. I think it's a note to your opinion about their need for control that they were willing to have the main character release a whole new album and song around the show that wasn't a pop. They could have just gone and grabbed a popular song. Oh, but yeah. instead they launched a new song. Well, it's part of the promotional method. Okay. So like also keep in mind, this is before the boom of the internet. That okay. doesn't really start to happen until, you know, Facebook, YouTube founded 2008, but I wouldn't say they get to like their peak of popularity and peak of users, like the 2012 ish okay. year. Okay. So at this time it, all of entertainment is really dominated by TV and radio. So Disney had Disney Channel yeah. and Radio Disney. So every single show had a theme song tied to the artist. Also, I don't know. Do you remember those like commercial breaks? Oh, they in were the only Disney? Disney. Three episodes of Wizards of Waverly Place was like, oh, 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 yeah. it's magic. Like, so they were literally like using this commercial real estate to promote albums. The OG For You page. Yeah, and every single theme song was an intro to Hannah Montana's music catalog. It was wow. an intro to Selena Gomez's music catalog, whatever. 2003, we get the Lizzie McGuire movie. Again, this is the start of the TV show to movie pipeline. This movie blows up. It is so popular. Hey now, hey, hey now. now. Uh, that movie soundtrack, win platinum. Season one, Lizzie McGuire, win platinum. However, Lizzie McGuire only lasts two seasons. She did two seasons and, and Hilary Duff did two movies. One as Lizzie McGuire and another, another movie that we'll talk about. Okay. The first controversy of Disney, and this is something Hilary Duff has actually talked about in, in recently. She had an interview with the Zack Sang show. It's really, really fascinating. I highly recommend watching it. Wow. So the Lizzie McGuire movie is about, she goes to Europe and she finds out that she is an identical twin with a pop star there. It's and like a doppelganger. Yeah, it's a yeah. doppelganger. And they like switch, whatever. So yeah. she gets to be famous. You know, she's living this double life, right? I want you to look at these two pictures. The plot of Hannah Montana is the Lizzie McGuire movie. Wait, like, I never realized that. You're it, even the hair. The hair. Look at <gasps> the only thing that has changed in these two pictures is that the blonde girl is wearing purple in the, in the Lizzie McGuire yeah. movie. 
And the brunette girl's wearing green. And Hannah Montana, in the original poster, it is the blonde girl's not wearing green, <gasps> and the brunette girl is wearing purple. So down to, like, the haircuts. It yeah. is identical. This is also the start of... Disney is really, really genius at this, is they can take one thing that is successful and use it to just, like, create a wave into the next thing. Yeah. Every single Disney show, every single Disney movie always has some sort of element that they use to launch the next show or to launch the next movie. Wow. And you'll see this, too. So Hilary Duff's second movie that she does is Cinderella Story. <gasps> This movie blew up. Estimated this movie, I think, did $70 million. And what did they do a few years later to launch Selena Gomez's career? Made a sequel. It's the exact, yeah. like, it's the exact another Cinderella story. Like, it is the exact same thing. They have mastered this craft of taking one thing and, you know, using it to launch the next thing. Also using it to launch the next star, right? Okay. So they didn't make another Cinderella story with... Hillary Duff intentionally. They did it with Selena Gomez. Why? They want another person in the pop star factory. They want to expand. Right. They want to grow. Wow. Lizzie McGuire was huge. And I think oh, yeah. she really defined what it means to be a Disney star. In three years, she's at Disney. She does film season one of a show, film season two of a show, does a soundtrack for season one of the show, does a soundtrack for season two of the show, does the Lizzie McGuire movie does the soundtrack for the Lizzie McGuire movie, does Cinderella Story, goes on a brief three-month tour. Like, in three years, for, for someone to do all of these things, and Disney went nuts with the promotion. They went nuts with the licensing. Like, there were three Lizzie McGuire video games in a three-year period. There were Lizzie McGuire backpacks, yeah. Lizzie McGuire uh, purses, pillows, blankets, like... I cannot even fathom how much money they made off of this franchise. I mean, even to this day, and also the fact that she had a cartoon version of her that she would like talk to, I think shows that even though Lizzie McGuire was in high school, they were also using their success with animation previously to tie it into a younger I, audience to be like, here, we also have a cartoon. That is exactly what I was about to say. Really? I have I a theory <gasps> as to why they use the cartoon in the Lizzie McGuire movie or in Lizzie McGuire as a show. And it is that I think that they wanted to be able to license her and slap her on products without paying Hillary Duff. If you Wait. look at all of the products they launch here, uh, the only thing with Hillary Duff's actual face on it, generally upon with, with my research were the books and the video games, the wow. t-shirts, the backpacks, the purses, all have this animated figure. And I think Disney owned the rights to the animated figure. So I think they were doing that to cut Hillary Duff out of making any more money. Like she's getting no residuals. She's getting no percentage or royalties from any of these products. Like unless they have her face on it, which is like two of them. Well, also... The reason that cartoons make so much money and the IP is so valuable, like The Simpsons, is the people that are the, the voice actors, they age and mm -hmm. they change their appearance. You know what's never going to look different? The cartoon version of Lizzie McGuire. Exactly. 20, 30 years from now, they can still sell it. Exactly. Wow. Lizzie McGuire, season one, soundtrack, goes platinum. Lizzie McGuire, a movie, soundtrack, goes platinum. 
Hilary Duff's first solo album was a Christmas album. It didn't do that well. I don't really know why they did that. I think Disney likely at the time was just like, this show's doing so well, it's Christmas, do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but her first like solo album, Metamorphosis, goes three times platinum. Wow. 2004, Cinderella Story comes out. According to IMDb, they estimate this video did $70 million in, wow. in profit. 2004 is also really, again, the start of this consistent pattern of Disney's greed. Hillary Duff quits Disney because she was unhappy with her level of compensation and attempted to negotiate with them for a third season, but they refused to meet any of their demands. Really? Yeah. H Hillary Duff has also spoken up about how she grew to resent the character in the box Disney put her in. It is always the same awkward and unaccepted girl wanting to be popular or going after a boy. This is a very common trope that I think just about every single person that has left Disney has said is that when they started Disney, they were a young girl, but they age and they develop yeah. and they were forced to be this caricature of themselves. Yeah. And I think this goes back to what you were saying about the cartoons is I think Disney viewed their stars the same way that they viewed Mickey Mouse and that they wanted it to be this perfect representation that they can slap on a backpack yeah. and do whatever they want with and people will love because it's always consistent and always the same thing. But people don't function that way. People age. People want to pursue different things yeah. in their career. And Disney refused to allow people to do that. And they didn't meet any of Hillary Duff's demands. So Lizzie McGuire gets canceled. There's not a third season. And something that was really shocking to me is like, even if they, there was absolutely no way they were going to do Lizzie McGuire again, it is so clear that Hillary Duff as an artist had so much value and profit to Disney, right? Like her most successful movie wasn't the Lizzie McGuire movie. It was a Cinderella story, which is her as Hillary Duff. Her most oh. successful album is not as Lizzie McGuire. It's Metamorphosis as Hilary Duff. But this is, again, the start of this pattern where they are willing to sacrifice profit. They are willing to sacrifice the long-term vision to maintain control. Like there is this sick, sinister need to control people. And if you are not willing to do exactly what we say when we say it, then you're out. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if that's why they got Miley Cyrus when she was so young. Mm -hmm. Because what Hillary probably started, I'm guessing, around 15, 16. That only gave them about two years with her. If you get Miley when she's 12, that gives you about six years before she's 18. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm and jumping ahead. Sorry. No, that's okay. We're about to get to Miley Cyrus soon. But okay. before Hannah Montana is released, actually, is High School Musical 1. High School Musical 1. <laughs> sold over a hundred million dollars in just the dvd sales i was trying to find statistics about like how much the cds brought in yeah i couldn't even find it fortune estimates that in the two years of the high school musical franchise um for, between one and two that disney made over a billion dollars in operating profits I believe it. I was, so I'm 27. So I was in like middle school, I think when high school musical was coming out and there was this pandemonium around it. I remember oh, yeah. being like so distraught because one of the high school mu musical movies, the second one comes out at like 8 PM your time and I'm Pacific time, California. <laughs> and one of our friends, family friends had their cable box set to the East coast so they could watch it at like 5 PM. And I was seething 
<laughs> seething with jealousy. That's a life hack, honestly. I, I never it got was. that smart. But it was this like it was this like pandemonium. It was. And again, I think high school musical is this it very intentional marketing of them trying to go older, right? It's not yes. elementary school yeah. musical, it's high school musical. Yes. It's very, very intentional. 2007, we get High School Musical 2. To this day, High School Musical 2 is the largest premiere in the history of Disney Channel with 17 million live viewers. This <gasps> franchise was insane. However, the big stars of it were Zac Efron, Vanessa Hudgens, Ashley Tisdale, and Corbin Blue. None of these four really had massive music success or pursued it too deeply. I think yeah. Ashley Tisdale and Vanessa Hudgens released an album or two yeah. each, but they didn't perform super well. And also was clear that they wanted to go more into acting, right? Zac Efron didn't even actually sing in High School Musical 1 at all. Um, Corbin Blue ended up get, doing, going into more movie side with okay. Jump In. Um, Ashley Tisdale was in Phineas and Ferb and Sweet Life. Yeah. Disney utilized the popularity of High School Musical as a marketing tactic to launch... Hannah Montana. <gasps> in 2006, the first trailer for Hannah Montana includes Zac Efron, Vanessa Hudgens, and Ashley Tisdale. Was it a crossover? Nope. Just a trailer. Oh, they wow. are so calculated. Every single action Disney does leads to the next action. So in 2006, we get Hannah Montana. And Hannah Montana, as I stated previously, is Lizzie McGuire 2.0. Like, it is literally, so we're right. just going to take the plot of the Lizzie McGuire movie and turn it into a TV show, which they did. However, there are two key differences. Number one, Miley doesn't want to be a pop star. She already is a pop star. Yeah. And I think this is where they hit the money, right? Because it didn't make as much sense for, like, Lizzie McGuire to go on tour because she's not a pop star. Yeah. It made so much sense for Hannah Montana to go on tour. Also, I think that there's so much like marketing into this, you know, like the wigs and the backpacks. And, and she was going on tour when the first season launched. Yeah. To, like, build that hype. And they get to double all the merch sales, right? There's Miley merch, <gasps> there's Hannah Montana merch. So it was really, really calculated. Number two, because of this, she is perfectly aspirational. And relatable at the same time, right? Like you aspire to Hannah Montana the same way you aspire to a celebrity or any other musician, right? Because she is famous. You see her as this pop star icon, but you can relate to Miley Cyrus because she's just this awkward girl in middle school. Also, something that they did very intentionally was High School Musical was high school. Hannah Montana was middle school. Like you said earlier, when getting her when she was yeah. 12 was they were trying to go for this tween to teenage demographic. They were like, okay, we're going to let the cartoons be for kids. We're going to make Disney Channel this teenage pipeline. So Hannah Montana is Disney Channel's biggest show. It only, however, it only ran for four seasons. And in my head, I was like, I, I feel like I've seen way more episodes than four seasons worth. I wonder if it feels like Hannah Montana was on air for more than four seasons because Miley physically changed. We saw her go from 12 years old to 18. And so in our mind, we feel like we saw her throughout all those years, even though they were only filming at spurts of that time in her life. Yeah. I also think another thing was Disney Channel milked the cow with reruns. Yeah. You turn like, I feel like I was always watching Disney Channel as a kid 
because I would get home from school and I would scroll through the channels or whatever. And Disney Channel was always the safe thing. Like there would always be either an episode of Hannah Montana or Wizards or That's a Raisin or Sweet Life. It's always sunny, whatever. And I was like, I know I'll enjoy this. So I would turn it on. I'm not sure I felt the same way about Cartoon Network. You know, I had shows I liked on Cartoon Network and I had shows I didn't like. And I think Nickelodeon did this with a few things like Spongebob. They milked that cow, yeah. you know, but not every single show of Nickelodeon was like this. Disney was really good at this. And I think they also wanted to always do the reruns because they wanted that ad space to promote the music. So oh. they wanted you to see an episode of Hannah Montana that you've already seen before. So they're like, OK, we know Miley Cyrus fans will watch this. And then when it gets to the commercial break, we get to slap a Miley Cyrus song into it to increase our album sales. Season one soundtrack went three times platinum in under a year. Um, The second Hannah Montana album went three times platinum in six months. The first Miley album went platinum. Then Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus goes diamond, which is the equivalent of 10 times platinum. Okay. And is still her biggest song today. And I feel like it took them a little bit to get there, but there was something majestic about Party in the USA. Yep, and it's like, kind of kid-friendly it is kid-friendly but it's a little bit more it's party i'm I'm a teenager i hopped off the plane in la it's what a middle schooler would think a party was like exactly and i also want to note too i think on the note of them running so many reruns it really goes back into this one theory that i have in that disney was leaning into which is ultimately audiences want companionship over entertainment yeah time and time again audiences will choose to watch something over and over again because they just want to feel like it's a safe predictable place for them to be every day instead of constantly needing new content to entertain them and i wonder if that's part of it i think it's human nature to seek comfort yeah we seek comfort in groups we seek comfort with friendships with relationships and i think that disney really knew how to do that and again especially with making all of their characters like i'm just an awkward girl who likes boys but they don't recognize me like that is such a a relatable problem to every 12 year old girl like it's so perfectly general but minorly specific that everybody just fell in love with it yeah and after hannah montana season one okay disney kicks it into overdrive and i had to literally (laughs) create a web and i'm this doesn't even begin to scratch the surface Coco like oh my god I had to physically stop myself from going deeper into this because of how elaborate it gets right okay so this all starts with high school musical season one and we touched is used to promote Hannah Montana which brings us to Hannah Montana season one next year 2007 we get high school musical two would you like to know what appeared in the episode slot after the debut of high school musical two the biggest release in Disney Channel history. What? An episode of Hannah Montana that debuted the Jonas Brothers. <gasps> I'm telling you, I every remember. single thing is calculated, Coco. Wait. It is calculated down to a T. Down to, like, we are going to save this episode for exactly this time and exactly this moment because we know this movie will be popular. However, we're going to make the substance of this episode about Hannah Montana meeting her boy band crush, the Jonas Brothers, yep. who had not existed on Disney prior. And it's like, oh, well, if all these girls look up to Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus, and then Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus looks up to the Jonas Brothers, then in turn, these young girl fans will look up to the Jonas Brothers. Yes. So that launches the Jonas Brothers music career. Then, would you like to guess who goes on tour together? 
Hannah Montana and the Jonas Brothers. Wow. So they are creating this like symbiotic relationship between the two. I also think that Hannah Montana was like their new Britney Spears, right? Again, oh, Britney Spears sure. is the root of all of this. It is the yeah. Disney resentment. We didn't get Britney Spears, so we will make a Britney Spears. Jonas Brothers, I think, was them trying to recreate a Justin Timberlake oh. because he was in a boy band. And it was coming, so this was the early 2000s. It was coming out of the 90s where there was boy, boy band fever around exactly. in sync with Justin Timberlake, mm -hmm. or back one of them, Backstreet Boys. But Justin Timberlake was in a boy band, so it makes sense that they missed out on Justin Timberlake with Mickey Mouse Club. Yep. So then they launch a boy band, which emulates what Justin yep. Timberlake would go on to do. So then, Jonas Brothers rise in popularity. Okay. Um, I believe their first album also went platinum. And we get their first movie, Camp Rock. Yeah. Which, again, brings in, who's our next star? Demi Lovato. Demi Lovato. So that launches Jonas Brothers' music career, also launches Demi, Demi Lovato's music career, and is used to promote her album. Now, going back to Hannah Montana, she also had another cameo with another Disney star, a view of Selena Gomez. And Selena Gomez also came on as not just a random character, a specifically a rival pop star to Hannah Montana. Yes. Right? So that launches Selena Gomez and Into Wizards. Then, after we have Demi Lovato and after we have Selena Gomez, we get the movie Princess Protection Plan, <gasps> which features the two of them. Whoa. Which, again, is used to promote their music catalogs further. Then, also, Sweet Life of Zach and Cody is launched throughout all of this. Um, they're actually launched more on the early side, I think pretty recently after Hannah Montana, which includes, as a side character, Ashley Tisdale from their most popular music franchise yes. of all time. Then we get the Disney crossover episode with Hannah Montana, Sweet Life, and... One of the best. That's So Raven. Then after Raven Simone has a TV show, what do we get? The Cheetah Girls. I think Raven was around the Lizzie McGuire era. And okay. she was aging out. I could be wrong. but And then, again, Cheetah Girls used to promote Raven. Yep. Song. A pop star. And this does not even begin to touch on the way Disney cross-promoted their artists. It is systematic. I Again, I had to literally stop myself from... Yeah. Like, I one, ran out of room on the page of this web. Uh, yeah. But two, like... There were the Disney crossover specials. There were the Disney games. There was the Radio Disney features. There was these past the plate episodes. There, like, it was systematic. Every single thing was taking a star, getting their popularity, putting them in with a new star we just signed to Hollywood Records and signed to Disney, yeah. getting these fan bases to rub off on one another, then giving them their own franchise, then once that franchise gained popularity, using them to launch the next person. And I think, too, this is really why they made these artists feel so disposable. Yeah. And that's really what happened with Hilary Duff circling back. Is, so Hilary Duff continued to release music with Hollywood Records even after she was not a part of Disney anymore. But, and again, I'm not sure if Hollywood Records, Hollywood Records is like inherently evil or not. Yeah. But I think once they had <laughs> Hannah Montana in Wizards of Waverly Place and Raymond Simone and Demi Lovato and the Jonas Brothers, they were like, we're just not going to promote you anymore. We're going to promote the people we can make the most money off of. And those are the people doing the movies, doing the TV shows, and doing the albums. A common issue with record labels too, like I always say, you don't want to sign to a talent agent who manages the biggest pop star in the world because your emails will never be as important. Yeah, or I think another thing too is like um, agents where they're all the same. You yeah. know, like it's very clear that they 
stopped caring about Hillary Duff because they got Miley Cyrus. Yeah. Right? They were like, this is our new Hillary Duff. Well, they created We don't need this, this old new, one. Yeah. yeah they, they manufactured her. Yeah. And this also, like, talking about this and talking about this graph and all of that is, like, when I talk about making a creative industry feel like an assembly line, it was so systematic. And it's scary because it worked so well. Like, these people all have maintained this level of fame decades yeah. past. And it's, you know, this double-edged sword and I, of just like taking a creative industry and putting people in these boxes yeah. where it's like you get absolutely no choice in what you do. Also, something that I found fascinating was like how rapidly these things came out. Like they were doing four seasons of a show, multiple albums, multiple movies, and tours within a year or two. And I think that that's because like they were given – no autonomy, no choice. They could not have any opinion on the character. They could not have any opinion on the writing. They could not have any opinion on any of the songs. Yeah. Like they were like, here, this is your thing. Dance monkey, go do it, yeah. go do it. And also like, that's why people grew to resent it. And again, I think this is Disney saying, we would rather control these people than keep them for a longer time. And I'm like, if you had let Miley Cyrus and Hannah Montana run for eight seasons instead of four, they would have made Gross. so much more money. And I wonder too if part of it is like they are working these kids, in my opinion, so much when they have them because they know that they're eventually going to grow up. And they're like, we want to capture you forever as 16. So we need as much video mm -hmm. footage, as many songs, because you are eventually... So like they're almost working five times harder right? because they know that they only have a short It's window. like they're fighting against their expiration date. Almost. Yeah, and maybe that's Which where... Which is sick. These are people. An expiration date is a great way to put it. So this brings us to the beginning of the fall of Disney Channel, okay. which also starts with Miley Cyrus, right? Miley Cyrus is really the pinnacle of it all. Like She yeah. is what kicks off this boom of TV shows, and she is also the person who breaks the rose-colored glasses of Disney Channel. So in 2011, Hannah Montana ends for pretty much the same reason that Hillary Duff ends. Yeah. They say that they're like, if I have to get up and put this wig on one more time again, I'm going to lose my yeah. mind. In fact, funny enough, Miley Cyrus in recent years has said in interviews, one of the moments that she realized this was once she had her sexual awakening oh. was she was like, I, like I'm an, this is, I'm an adult now. And like, if I have to put on a wig and pretend to be a middle schooler for one more minute, I'm just going to lose it. And Miley Cyrus leaves Disney and Hollywood records. And this really? is very important. Yeah. Okay. Her leaving Hollywood records is huge. So in 2013, we get the infamous WAP video. I don't know if you remember this, where it was... <laughs> is it the WAP? WAP? Yeah. Now let me see. It was WAP. like Miley Cyrus posted it on her Facebook page. Wow. Where she was... And again, like, reflecting upon this now, it is so tame. But yeah. at the time, this was, like, vile. Like, made mainstream oh news headlines. Tabloids are written about her twerking in a onesie. Like, she's fully clothed. Like, you can even see in her skin onesie. in the screenshot that I've captured. But they... Um, were so critical of her. And I really think, like, also Disney stars in general are had to, held to such a ridiculous standard. Like, this is a, a headline I saw from the New York Post 
back in the day where it's talking about Miley Cyrus's shame and that she should be shameful for doing this quote unquote near nude photo for a magazine cover, which is her again, like you can only see her back in the side yeah. of the arm. And like, it was an editorial, and I remember, I think at the time she was like 14 years old and she was slut-shamed. Exactly. And also the thing that is so frustrating is like, they blame Miley Cyrus, not the people at Disney who probably set it up. Yeah. Not the people of the magazine who decided to publish yeah. it. Not the photographer who took the pictures, not the creative director who came And I remember her dad was like, on set because they did a photo together. Right. Like, they blame Miley. And I also think this is a classic case of media blaming women, yeah. you know, like forcing women to sexualize themselves for popularity, but then resenting them for it do. when they do. It gives the same energy as like the math teacher in middle school who's like, girls, don't wear short skirts because of how it'll make me feel. Like that kind of <laughs> yes. vibe where it's like, what do you, yes. what, like, let's, let's sit like, with that. Like you're what the do you problem mean? there, dude. Like, yeah, it's sick. So also in 2013, we get the Wrecking Ball video. And this is the start of like, Miley Cyrus breaking away. Also, again, Wrecking Ball was not released through Hollywood Records. It was released through RCA. Okay. Which is her new label at the time. And I really think Wrecking Ball plus the internet boom saved the other Disney stars. And we'll wow. talk on this a bit later. But I think Miley felt in her soul that no matter what she did, she would always be perceived as Hannah Montana. Yeah. And she, that idea made her sick to her stomach. So she quite literally had to take a wrecking ball to this idea of the 14-year-old girl pop star that Dan that Disney had manufactured for her. And I know that also this is a, a very, very um, troubling time for her personally. Right. She's talked about, I think, a lot of confusion, one, with her sexual identity that she's talked about. Two, like, I think that those years of your life of like 12 to 17 are just the most formative years that you yeah. go through. And when you spend all of it being told to be somebody, you can't really determine what part of that identity was actually you or what part of it was you being told to do that or what part of it did you like, you know, like I'm sure she probably even questioned like, do I want to pursue music? Do, yeah. do I want to pursue acting? Like, I don't know. I've just been told to do it and feeding my family off of it for years. And I think that she literally felt the need to like take a wrecking ball to yeah. it. Like I think wrecking ball is literally a metaphor for her having to destroy the old Miley Cyrus so that people could see her as something else. And even if that something else was extremely criticized and I, again, I yeah. undeservedly criticized, I think she was willing to take the criticism to break the mold. Yeah. And this is the pattern of like, Disney stars are held to an absurd yeah. and inhuman standard by the public um, where they are like, because you are a featured on this platform that is primarily targeted towards kids, you need to be kid friendly 100% of the time at all times. Yeah. And that is just not the way that people function. Right. Or the way that people age. Especially... Even. 17 year old yeah especially that's 17, what like the you're a teenager you want to party and make dumb decisions. Yeah. like that is the part of your life where you make a dumb decision to learn from it you know yeah. like that's really what those years are for and even today like i don't know if you've seen the stuff about tom holland this year with his apple tv show where he in the show is playing a character and, and the character is queer 
and there's a, a gay sex scene. Okay. And he is getting backlash on Twitter of people like, hashtag not my Spider-Man, because he's a part of Marvel, and Marvel is marketed towards kids, which means it is incorrect for him to ever be having a queer sex scene. Okay, you're obsessed with a fake man that wears a latex, like, spandex suit. Like, I think your masculinity is a non-factor here. Like, it's so weird that they're so mad at him. That's what I'm saying. Like, the people hold specifically Disney stars to an inhuman standard. Yeah. And also, this Apple TV show, not marketed towards kids. No. And it's so weird to me. If you are uncomfortable with your child watching it, don't let them. It's not a kid's show anyways. Like, literally, do not let them. You are the one making the decision. You know? Like, it's not Tom Holland's fault. Also, like, he's playing a role. Like, it's not even, like, him. It's not even, like, he released a queer sex tape or something. Yeah. Like, it's so ridiculous. He's doing his job. He is doing his job. I also, I kind of now, you make great points. I have a theory now about Miley Cyrus and when she cut her hair around the Wrecking Ball era. Mm -hmm. And this could be subconscious and I could be wrong. But when she cut her hair, she bleached it blonde and then cut it. She could have had that short haircut with her natural brown hair. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it was symbolic for like the bleached hair was a nod to Hannah Montana. And then it was like, and I'm chopping it off. Yeah. So it was like Hannah Montana's gone. Totally. Whereas she could have just had her natural hair and then chopped it off. But the fact that she went blonde and then cut the hair... Yeah, I think I there's think a lot of symbolism in that. Visual. I also think the entire Wrecking Ball music video is a symbolism for Disney Channel. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to, like, after this and after Hannah Montana and other shows, you know, go to their rise and fall. There, I wanted to cover the other Disney shows, but literally, like, this would have been a three-hour-long yeah. podcast episode. And also, I think they really follow the blueprint that Hannah Montana laid out for them in the sense of like, you do your show, you get your movie, you get your albums, and then eventually you get tired of being in this box and then you leave. It's yeah. pretty, it's what happens with Raven Simone. It is what happened with Selena Gomez. It is what happened with Demi Lovato. All of them have reflected like this exact same sentiment. I think Miley Cyrus went through it first because she was one of the earliest and also yeah. one of the biggest. I also think it's really, really important too. Something that was different between Miley Cyrus and Hilary Duff was Miley Cyrus left Disney in an era of the internet. Hillary Duff left in like 2004 when the internet social yeah. media boom didn't exist yet. So there was no way for her to get attention or be successful yeah. outside of the promotional channels that Disney Channel had laid out for her. What Miley Cyrus did was like she was a topic of conversation in these news cycles and social media yeah. and doing the WAP video and doing the Wrecking Ball music video that she could put on YouTube not, you yeah. know, it didn't have to be on Radio Disney or a Disney Channel ad commercial. Like, yeah. Miley Cyrus was able to find a career after Disney, I think, because she had the internet. And that's what I'm saying. I think that, one, Miley Cyrus having the internet and being the first one to break the rose-colored glasses and view everybody had of Disney Channel is what saved this next generation of artists. Yeah. Which brings us into what I like to call the Disney sophomore class. Yeah. And these are the people who like never really had a crazy traumatic experience with Disney. That we know of. That we know of, but yeah. also have talked about not liking being a part of Disney. Okay. But I think 
all of these people you see here, Selena Gomez, Bella Thorne, Jenna Ortega, Ross Lynch, Sabrina Carpenter, Austin Butler, Kiki Palmer, the list goes on, there's more. They were smart enough, and I think Miley Cyrus going through it, to not stay in Disney too long. Yeah. And also a lot of them either didn't sign to Hollywood Records or like didn't get into music yeah. fully. Like Zendaya and Bella Thorne did sign to Hollywood Records, but then Zendaya got out pretty quickly. She did two shows. Yeah. Didn't happen. Um, Sabrina Carpenter, same thing. Jenna Ortega, same thing. Austin Butler and Kiki Palmer also kind of like ping pong back and forth between Nickelodeon and Disney, right? They were never putting all their eggs in one bat in the Disney basket, yeah. so to speak. So they never got caught in the Disney trap the same way I think Raven, Miley, yeah. Selena, and Demi Which did. Also, in its own way, is a risk because it took Austin Butler almost a decade to get a role again that made him yeah. a mainstream name. So it was like he was playing the long game. That's he really could have gone the Jonas Brothers route, but he didn't. That's really true. Um, so but one thing and a big piece of sentiment that has been shared with every single person you see up here is that they were not allowed to be anything besides the character. Um, this is something Zendaya and Bella Thorne, I'm actually talked about a lot. Um, and specifically their show, Shake It Up was really popular. And they said too, that there was a lot of tension on set for them to be pitted against one another. Like, it didn't feel like they were co-stars. They said it felt like it was their duty to outperform one another. And I think this is because Disney made the show Shake It Up with two people with the idea of, like, we only need one of them to be popular. Oh. Like, let's, you know, let's let's try two people instead of one this time to see, like, if we can, one of them does well, great, we can franchise them. You know what yeah. I mean? Or we can take their music career, whatever. But that tension ended up causing both of them to leave. Yeah. And again, Disney is willing to sacrifice profit. It is willing to sacrifice the long-term vision to maintain control. Yeah. And also, none of these shows in this era from like the end of 2011 to 2020 ever get as popular as the OGs. They never get as popular as Wizards, That's yeah. a Raven, Hannah Montana. Those were the peak. The shows do really well but never hit as hard as the original shows. Which takes us to 2019, which is the launch of Disney Plus. Okay. So the launch of Disney Plus is really, again, it's kind of what happened, I think, in 1989, where Disney realized, like, okay, this, you know, that 1989 was a boom of cable, 90s was a boom of cable, then in 2020s is boom of streaming. So they're like, we need to get Disney into streaming. So what is the first thing they decide to do? The exact same franchise that started it all the first time, High School Musical. Whoa. But this time, again, it's this flipping of TV shows to movies and movies to shows. So now High School Musical gets its TV show. It's a huge success. Like High School Musical, the musical season yeah. one really took off. People loved it. However, in 2021... January, Driver's License is released by Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. And this song blew up on TikTok in a way that was like, I think, unconceivable even to, to her. her. And again, this is kind of supporting my thesis of like the people that were able to escape Disney did it because they kind of had the power of the internet as a promotional tool. Like they didn't need to rely on Disney 100% to have a career, which is the trap Hillary Duff fell into. 
but Olivia was able to escape this way. So in May, Sour is released. Sour goes four times platinum. Olivia Rodrigo wins three Grammys, all three singles from this album, which were Driver's License, Deja Vu, and Good For You, all got over a billion streams. And she has set so many records. She's the first artist in history to have two debut songs off their first two albums go number one. And something I think is really telling here, and again, speaks to that I think Miley Cyrus really saved the next decades yeah. worth of Disney stars is neither Olivia Rodrigo or Joshua Bassett signed to Hollywood records. Interesting. They both signed to different labels. Um, and I think that that's because people started to get smart. They saw what happened with Miley Cyrus and realized if I let Disney control me, it will ruin me and being ruined wasn't worth it. So they signed to other record labels. And Which is a risk. Which is a risk inherently yeah. in itself. And also you're losing, like the, the power of Disney's promotion is next to none. Like yeah. they were literally manufacturing platinum selling artists. If you got signed to a Disney Channel show in the early 2000s, you were a platinum selling artist by the end of the year without question. Yeah. And it happened to so many people. And also they continue to be A-list celebrities to this day. Like Selena Gomez and, and Miley yeah. Cyrus and all these people, like they're still so famous. After this show, and also again, High School Musical the C H I chaotic. I say that title. It's almost like they did it as a joke. It, seriously, but the High School Musical show also only lasted f four seasons. Its fourth yeah. season comes out this year, and that's the end of it. And I think this is another mistake of Disney of like they try to control these people, and they don't let them grow. They don't let them be anything else. So then they just end the show. And I think this really goes to show, like, in the streaming era and in the era of the internet, Disney lost the plot. Yeah. They kind of lost touch with what made people of Gen Z and of our generation fall in love with Disney in the first place. They really started to lean heavily into acquiring IP yeah. instead of making their own. So they bought Marvel and Star Wars. Yeah. And from a financial perspective cannot deny that I'm sure those are making them billions upon billions every single year. Yeah. However, I think that, you know, no 12 year old girl is being seen through Mandalorian and or yeah. <laughs> like, it's just not the same. And also like, I think after the high school musical show, like they really didn't try again. Like yeah. they haven't really been able to find their footing with these like, sitcom style Disney Channel shows that they had at the time. And I think too that Disney definitely bought these IP of Star Wars and Marvel because they wanted to get more of a male demographic. I think yeah. that they have, you know, dominated young females with the princesses and yeah. the princess movies and then the Disney Channel shows. And they still continue to do that. I mean the Little Mermaid movie, huge success yeah. and all of that. And I think they wanted to get Marvel and Star Wars to get more of a male audience. Yeah. But I think it came at the sacrifice of them being able to have like the Disney pop star pipeline, so yeah. to speak. And also now we're seeing with all the things with Bob Iger of like that man never saw the plot to begin with, apparently, <laughs> because like it's insane. Like I, I think I saw a statistic that if they were to meet every single demand of the writers and actors without negotiation 
it would cost Disney less than 2% of what they make in a year. It, it To me, I've said this, I think it's less about money and more about power. Like yeah, the and that's the what I'm top, saying. They wouldn't notice if they weren't making, if they would not notice if they were making 31 million a year and not 35 million a year, but it's the ability to remind others that they're below them. Yeah, and that is really, I think, like when I look at the rise and fall of Disney Channel, the thing that stands out to me the most is that first, I don't know if it's the culture of the company. Yeah. I don't know if it's just a small group of executives that are really like this. Like, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly where this disgusting need for power stems from. Yeah. But it has always been there, and it has always been the thing that shoots them in their own foot. Yeah, and I also think that with... Disney having all of these shows, I think we also saw it with Nickelodeon where it's these live action TV shows around high schoolers. You're making a lot of money, but you're also going into that investment, understanding that those people are eventually going to grow up. Like you can't have a 30 year old playing a high schooler forever. And you have to understand that. And I think that that's why animated series are always catered to children because as long as the person doing the voiceover can still come into the studio, the character can still remain 12 years old. And I think that's why Disney bought Pixar. Yeah. And also, um, even now, like Disney owns Hulu too, which is an entirely different demographic and has a whole, you know, other cinematic universe of shows. But I think too, like artists and, and actors now can't really speak up against Disney or at the very least there is always a financial incentive for them to be quiet about Disney. Yeah. Because Disney owns so much like Zendaya even is a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Or you know if you're an actor the chances of you getting a show that ever could go on Hulu or get acquired by Hulu is so high or you know and that's not even to include all like the star wars and disney and like all the princesses and all of that stuff so i think disney is such a fascinating piece or the disney channel era is such a fascinating piece of the entertainment industry and it's really important to look back on in hindsight too to how big corporations i think abuse young artists yeah and if you are a young artist or a young creative person out there i think it really speaks to to always like you have to build your own ip or you have to build something for yourself because if you only do the things for someone else they get the power to rip that away from you at any moment yeah and i also think that where things like disney channel lost their power as well was just and this applies to traditional media in general was the rise of the internet it took away ritualizing your content. So like what I mean by that is every Wednesday at 5 p.m. someone puts on your TV show and that's a part of their ritual. But when streaming happens, and I think it's why we see live streamers so successful now because people are tuning in at a certain time to watch someone like It's Psychonic every Mm -hmm. night at 6 p.m. And that's what people used to do at Disney Channel. But now with streamers, you know, you have kids are now deciding between do they want to watch High School Musical, the musical, the series, or do they want to watch Stranger Things? And they can binge all 10 episodes of Stranger Things in a night. But like, I think that the lack of ritualization is also the downfall of traditional media. I I think that's such a great point. And I also think too now the power is in the people, right? Yeah. Like now you see 
teenagers going viral in the bedroom and getting music careers off of it. They don't have to go and yeah. seek approval from Disney anymore. It's like they can, but it's not necessary. And that I think speaks to the beauty of the internet. I think the internet gets so much criticism and has taken away the power from people like these Disney executives in favor of just raw popular demand. You know, I don't think if Ice Spice marched into Capitol Records or Hollywood Records yeah. and played Munch, they would have been like, this girl's going to go to the Met Gala yes. this year. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that would have never happened. But because she put that on TikTok, people were like, wow, this is a great song. And then she released more music and they're like, wow, this is also a great yeah. song. Oh, wow, this is just a great artist. And other artists started to notice that she was a great artist. And it was just this democratization of information and creativity that puts power Although slight power, because again, you're still a victim to an algorithm yeah. and that, you know, we can do an entire a separate deep dive on that. Yeah. But I think it puts power slightly the everyday people. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that it's so much more democratic now, but I was, you made the point and I was going to say it, but like in the past, if you wanted to be a famous creative person, you had to win over the people controlling the radio stations or like the person deciding who's on the sitcom show that runs at 8 p.m. But now I would argue the people you have to win over are the executives at TikTok and Instagram mm. and YouTube. There's a lot more democracy that goes into it in, in the beginning stages, but this is a slide for another day. Yeah. But I really do feel like now some of the most successful people, they're not just the ones putting out the great content. They are the ones who have won over the powers that be that are the ones that are deciding what happens in the algorithm. But there's just more chances now yeah. to meet the gatekeeper. Yeah. Well, well that is the it. rise and fall of Disney. 